Well, Darren brought me a book. Is he here? Yeah, there he is. It's a cool book. Um, it's called Have a Little Faith by Mitch. What? Did I say something funny? Um, and uh, it's essentially the story of, uh, of a man who was asked by his childhood rabbi, so he's a Jew, he said to him, uh, would you give my eulogy at my funeral? And he didn't know the rabbi that well, but thought of him as a, you know, an exceptional man of God from a distance, but realized, well, I need to get to know this guy better. And so what he thinks might be a few weeks or a few months uh, turns into eight years of getting to know him as uh, actually the rabbi is perhaps not as sick as he thought he was and uh, lives on. And, and there's just an amazing piece in it. It's a wonderful, it's called Have a Little Faith by Mitch Album, and I'd recommend it. I've read it all, Darren, already. It's just a page turn. You can't, you can't stop. And there's this amazing piece. I want to talk about uh, the other kind of piece, peace, but there's this amazing section in it that I thought, well, that sums up the world. As I start to, to read, please don't be offended. It's simply talking about where the world is at. Remember last week, or two weeks ago, I think I was talking about peace, and I spoke about the fact, do fish know that they're swimming in water? You know, the one says to the other, oh, the water's not very good here, and the other one goes, what's water? We are living in a culture that it's probably quite hard to analyze. And sometimes we need to take a step back. And actually books that are refreshingly philosophical about faith and life and what's happening in the world are quite powerful. And so I wanna read you this, and I'm gonna sum this little section up. I'm gonna call it Happiness in a Tablet. Yes, that had a question mark at the end, that's why I did it like that. I've not suddenly become American. And he is visiting his aging rabbi who's in a hospital room at the time and because uh, he's had a fall or something like that and um, so here's the story okay it's a few pages so settle in all right you ready as we sat in the room a commercial for antidepressant for an antidepressant drug flashed across the tv screen it showed people looking forlorn alone on a bench or standing staring out of a window I keep feeling something bad is going to happen, the TV voice said. Then after showing the pill and some graphics, those same people appeared again, looking happier. The Reb and I, he called him the Reb, this rabbi. The Reb and I watched in silence. After it ended, he asked, do you think those pills work? Not like that, I said. No, he agreed. Not like that. Happiness in a tablet. This is our world, Prozac, Paxil, Xanax. Billions are spent to advertise such drugs and billions more are spent purchasing them. You don't even need a specific trauma, just general depression or anxiety, as if sadness were as treatable as a common cold. I knew depression was real and in many cases required medical attention. I also knew we overused the word. Much of what we call depression was really dissatisfaction a result of setting a bar impossibly high or expecting treasures that we weren't willing to work for. I knew people whose unbearable source of misery was their weight, their baldness, quiet, or their lack of advancement in a workplace or their inability to find the perfect mate even if they themselves did not behave like one. To these people, unhappiness was a condition, an intolerable state of affairs, if pills could help, pills were taken. But pills were not gonna change the fundamental problem in the construction, wanting what you can't have. 
looking for self-worth in the mirror, layering work upon top of work and still wondering why you weren't satisfied before working some more. I knew I had done all that. There was, such, there was a stretch where I could not have worked more hours in the day without eliminating sleep altogether. I piled accomplishments, I, I made money, I earned accolades, and the longer I went at it, the emptier I began to feel, like pumping air faster and faster into a torn tire. Time I spent with a, another dying friend uh, caused me to change my schedule, but I still kept my hands on the wheel. I didn't turn things over to fate or faith. I recoiled from people who put their daily, ha their daily affairs in divine hands, saying, if God wants it, it will happen. I kept silent when people said all that mattered was their personal relationship with Jesus. Such surrender seemed silly to me. I felt I knew better, but privately, I couldn't say I felt any happier than they did. So I noted for all the milligrams of medication he required, the Reb never popped a pill for his peace of mind. He loved to smile. He avoided anger. He was never haunted by why am I here? He knew why he was here, he said, to give to others, to celebrate God, and to enjoy and honor the world he was put in. His morning prayers began with, thank you, Lord, for returning my soul to me. When you start the day that way, the rest of the day is a bonus. Wow. Peace isn't something, and as you said there, we're not in any way getting at people that require medication for something medical, of course. The doctors in this room's pretty well full of them are our friends, not our enemy. But also, we can't ultimately cure the condition of an unhappy soul through medication. Something needs to happen deep inside of us. I know uh, wonderfully married people who are deeply unhappy. Uh, people who have lots of money who are deeply unhappy. Anybody? Uh, we all live in this wonderful Western world and yet we go through a political time like we've just been through and we become deeply unhappy even with politics and the state of affairs. When I know many of us that have lived and travelled in different parts of the world know that we live in an extremely blessed part of the world wherever bit of it you live right now. And so an unhappiness can come from deep within our souls. I wonder what peace really is. Have I, is that my, uh, thanks Sam, you're doing a great job. Oh, there you go. Is that what peace is? And half the room went, stuff theology, yes, that's peace. <laughs> I know my mum is like, yep, I don't want to listen to another word. I'm just imagining that I'm there and I'm getting some vitamin D on my face. Anybody with me? Oh boy, doesn't that look like peace? I turn 50 next year. I told Vicky I want to turn 50 somewhere like that. Peace. But is peace really external? Is it the absence of strife or is it something else? Biblical peace is not just the absence of strife or a Greek beach. It's something more. In fact, it means something much more. Our English language doesn't really, can't really capture the totality of the word peace, so we have to use more descriptive language. It means completeness, uh, wholeness. Um, it's like a, a stone, a brick, 
with no damage on it whatsoever. It's like a a brick wall with no cracks. It is complete. It speaks of a whole and wholesome world. Even when the world is complex, it's whole. When Job was counting his sheep and he decided, yes, I've got all of my sheep, he said, my tents have shalom, which is the word for peace. In other words, my household is complete. It's at peace. Peace, biblically, is a complete peace. The sense that nothing is out of alignment, nothing is broken, nothing's missing. So let's think about the the name for God that we're looking at this month, the Prince of Peace. It means, it doesn't just mean the Prince of, it also means the Prince of Wholeness. I am the Prince of Completion. Come on, work with me. I'm the prince of nothing being out of alignment within you or around you. I don't just want to give you a bit of tranquility and at peace with yourself. How's about I'm the prince of completeness? Which means I can bring a reign of heaven into your life that means nothing's missing, nothing's broken. That's our God. He's the prince of wholeness. Amen. Oh, don't do that to me, iPad. Come back. There you go. So anything about using iPads. Um, let's think about some of these phrases. Prince of peace. Prince of completeness. In a broken world. So this was prophesied hundreds of years. It's the book of Isaiah. So they said basically a prince of peace was coming. A prince of wholeness. To a broken nation. A prince of peace and completeness was coming. Um, he turned up as the one that was able to take the jigsaw and make it fit together. To find something, even when there's a missing piece on the jigsaw, our God can put it together and make something of it. In other words, he came to do something quite miraculous, not just to give you a Greek beach experience. He came to give you completeness of soul. I don't know about you, um, but I can feel quite dysfunctional even now. Anybody on my planet? Uh, I've discovered this, even though I've been saved 32 years ago, I gave my life to Jesus and he became my Prince of Peace. I still need a Prince of Peace to come to my life. I I need a savior every, every day, anybody? I need a redeemer, I need a restorer, I need a repairer, I need someone who can heal me even now God, would you, would you treat me like I was a brand new Christian once again? Would you be my savior today? I'm your prince of completeness. The only way you're going to feel complete is by coming to me. So how did he do that? If he was saying, I'm coming to the world as the prince of completeness. Let's just catch another couple of phrases from the Bible. Here's what Colossians says in the New Testament, talking about what Jesus did. The one who was born in a stable died on a cross for the sin of mankind. And here's the phrase, listen to this, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. What does it mean? Making completeness available. Essentially, you and I are born incomplete but God comes with his completeness somehow, and I'll explain how in a moment. He comes and he says, okay, you're broken, there's something missing, but I come with my completeness and I bring it to you. When did he do that? He did it on the cross. Here's the gospel in a nutshell. The world is broken, unholy, in a mess, and have you noticed, still is. 
But Jesus came and said, I will take the sin, the brokenness, the badness and the sadness of humanity and I'll put it on myself and I'll take the ultimate punishment. I'll die on a cross and all you have to do is believe in me and come to me and I will take your brokenness and swap it with my completeness and you can be complete. That, everybody, is the gospel. It's not a moral code that if only we could think slightly better, we could do without some of the stuff I've been reading about and talking about. It's not if I could get some principles in my life, like a self-help book, I could think better and therefore improve my life. It's so much more than that. We are incomplete without God. And then he turns up. And so he, he, he creates peace through his blood shed on the cross. He creates the capacity for completeness. And then the last phrase, as I'm coming to a close, then he says this amazing phrase. So, I'm the prince of completeness. I make completeness available on the cross. And then he says this phrase, look at it. So my peace I give to you. Jesus is complete, whole, holy, perfect, at peace. And then he turns to you and, he, and me and he says, so can I give you my peace? Somebody say, wow. I mean, somebody say it backwards. Thank you, both of you. He wants to give you completeness. Give it to you. Give it to you. Do you feel incomplete? Maybe we need to start losing that, Christians. Because here's the thing, while you're being made holy, he's also made you completely holy. And I think some of us live too much in this side of we're so aware of our brokenness, so aware of our dysfunction, so aware of what we've not got. And so we still rail and hanker and, and rant at the world like anyone else. But actually, he says, no, 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 you're holy, you're complete. I've done it through the cross. I want you to bask in the beauty of what I've done for you. I've brought you peace. All you have to do is receive my completeness into your life. That's what the cross did. I remember taking woodwork. Um, I'd love to think I'm very creative with my hands, but I'm really not. If you ask Vicky, in fact, go ask Vicky if you want to give her a laugh. Go and ask her about my paintings sometime. She just has hysterics whenever I paint. And I don't just mean DIY, DIY, that's another thing. Let's not go there. That's just to do with age. Let's not, no. In woodwork at school, I remember we were making, everybody had to make like a, a base and then some kind of ornament on top. And I took forever making this horse. If I'm honest, it did look like a bit of a dinosaur, but it was my horse, all right? So just, and I, we spent forever, do you know what I mean? I, what did you get? A couple of hours a week in the woodwork class and you're, you're making this thing and you're sanding it. And it was, it was pretty awful but it was mine then I remember we went on half term and when I came back from half term nobody could find my dino horse it had gone missing I was distraught I'd spent hours and hours and hours and hours on creating this thing and the problem was the deadline for that class and that exam as it were to be finished was very very close it was about a week away there was no way that I could make another dino horse in that time so Mr. Gear, I've just remember his name now Mr. Gear, my teacher he got a piece of wood and he walked over to the lathe and he just began to cut this beautiful swan. And it was, had all, you know, all bits taken out of it. It was all beautiful curves and beautiful lines. And he walked over to me and he said, this is now yours. If you just clean it up and varnish it, we'll call it your work. 
and he put it on my desk and he made this beautiful swan and then said, that is now yours. That's what Jesus has done for you. You can't make peace, but if I give you peace and then you just polish it up and you get it into your life, we'll call it your work. I have made peace for you and now I give my peace to you. It's the work of the cross. The only true way to have an unsettled, uh, unshakable, un, un, un you know what I'm saying, soul is to receive God's complete peace deep down within. He's saying, no, 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 you're not going to get it just from a Greek beach. Who knows you can lie on a Greek beach and you're sat next to that family. Right, you turn up to that, that holiday you've been waiting for, then you realize it's under the flight path of the plane. You turn up to what you think is that kind of rather grown-up, adult-only, lovely resort, and suddenly, no, 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 it's got a thousand kids in it right underneath your balcony. The world cannot offer you peace, but God offers us peace in our souls. He's done the work he says, so you just receive it now. And here's biblically how that happens. Let me use this picture. Isaiah 41, I believe it is at the end, or Isaiah 40 at the end. It says, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. It literally means this. Those who wait on God will exchange strengths with him. Salvation is a swap. Your angst for his peace. Your dysfunction for his function, your doubt for his faith. Who wants to swap with God this morning? It's the only way you're gonna get peace in this life. We swap with God and say, God, fill me with your completeness and then teach me how to walk in who you are. Christianity is not a moral code. It is dead men coming alive. It is as we'll hear in a song in a moment, it is Christ being born in us today. Be born in me, Jesus.